Hi, everybody online. Great to see you guys. It's been a little while. Um, I'm so happy to be back again this morning after a couple weeks off. Um, but I got to tell you, I was also so thankful that for those two weeks that I was away, we had some great teachers fill in. So thanks to Bob and thanks to Ryan, wherever he is, uh, for filling in. They did a great job. Uh, thankful to have them here. Um, so this morning, we're just going to kind of continuing on in the, from the last sermon I did, which was three weeks ago. So I'm going to have to, you know, ask you to remember some things, okay? But three weeks ago, uh, we started to talk through this idea of everyday discipleship, right? And I talk about that a lot, so it's nothing new, but we're really digging in on what that looks like. Um, and my, my hope in, in three weeks ago, when we first started this series, was to help you to just realize one simple thing, that's that discipleship is, is possible, like real everyday discipleship is possible. It's possible for you. It's possible for your life to be a life where you could just say, yeah, I, I like, I'm like practicing discipleship to Jesus. Like I'm going deep in my relationship with Jesus. That, that is possible. And not only is it possible, it's good. And I, I think it's part of our calling as Christians to be disciples, to be disciples. Um, but I think for a lot of us, um, and I've definitely been in this boat myself uh, in different times of my life, we, we've fallen maybe into a little bit of despair about the possibility of being real disciples. We've, we've started to believe that, that being uh, everyday disciples, the sorts of people who have, you know, both the desire to kind of grow in and lean into this relationship with Jesus, and, but also have the means to become more like Jesus, to become more like his, his disciples, we start to think, man, that's just, just not really for us. Some of us struggle, I think, with the consistency side of things, right? Like some days we wake up and we think, yeah, I'm going to be a disciple today. And then other days we wake up and think, I'm just grouchy, right? Like we just can't get over it. So we, deal, we have problems with consistency. We find that when things get hard, we don't have the resolve that we once had to follow Jesus through difficult times, and I think that even more of us struggle with just the simple question of how, like, how do you do that? Like, I'm not a fisherman, I'm not a tax collector, can't leave those behind and follow Jesus, and he's not here anyway, like, I don't see him at least, like, so how do you do this discipleship thing? Because in the Bible, like, there was a definite way, you just followed Jesus. But how do I do it? How do I do it in my everyday life? Um, and then, of course, there's a question. I think that a lot of us are just sort of kicking around the back of our minds, if we're really honest. Um, it's just this question of, well, do I, do I even really need to do that? Can I just, like, worship Jesus and love Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship with Jesus? And does it, but I really have to be a disciple. Like, is that necessary? And of course, like the more we struggle to live up to this ideal of discipleship that we have, the more we fail uh, to really have a, a vision of what a relationship with Jesus that's, uh, that's marked by discipleship is about, the more we start to ask this question, is it really necessary? Because I think I'm, I'm doing okay. I think I'm doing okay just as things are. Is that what Jesus really wants for me? Do I really need to be an everyday disciple? Like, I mean, like I have an American Express card, right? But I don't have a platinum card. Do I need the platinum card? Oh, the, the other one works just fine. It's only a hundred dollar fee. Like the platinum card's like six hundred dollars. They keep sending me invites to it. And I'm thinking, I want to give you an extra five hundred dollars a year. American Express, like I don't need to do that. Can't I just be a good Christian who you know goes to church? Like you know when when it's not great out. 
um, and who like just does my thing, like, and isn't that, isn't that just enough? Like, do I have to be an everyday disciple? Can I be like a, can I be like a Sunday, Tuesday disciple? Is there a, is there a lower option? It's like some, something less, like maybe a disciple from the hours of 8 to 10.30 every day? I could do that. Like, are there, are there different levels Isn't it, like, good enough? Isn't it good enough to just be, like, an occasional disciple? Isn't that good enough? Good enough, I think, is a really funny idea. Um, Because, okay, bear with me here. Um, Think about this idea of being an everyday disciple, right? And ask this question. Is it good enough for me to be an occasional disciple? A person who goes to church sometimes, maybe prays sometimes, maybe like, like, like sort of into this Jesus person, but not really like a, a disciple in that sense. Like I wouldn't think of myself that way. Is that good enough? And, and then I just want you to think for a second. I just want you to think of your answer. Like honestly, you don't have to tell me it, but in your own head, like is this just being like an occasional disciple good enough? Like a pretty good disciple. Is that good enough? Not an everyday disciple, but like somebody who's, who's pretty into this. Is that good enough? And just answer that question in, in your head. Okay, now I want you to ask yourself this, the same question about, about, about the same issue. Is it good? Is, is being an occasional disciple good? Like, do you enjoy it? Is it fruitful? Is it like leading to, I, you think, like, the, like all the good things that could come if you were an everyday disciple? Now, look, I just want to actually stop for a second. I should have maybe done a little bit earlier. But some of you guys, like, wake up and you put your feet on the floor and you feel guilty. And then the, and I ask these terrible questions, <laughs> right? And now you're feeling super guilty. So just nip that in the butt, like if, the bud, nip that in the bud. <laughs> um, you don't need to feel guilty. This, I'm not asking you this to feel guilty. And honestly, like feeling guilt is just going to totally derail any progress that you have in Jesus. It's not about that. It's not about, am I good enough? Do I measure up? Do I need to do more, give more, be more? It's not about that. It's just like a simple question, like, like, is it good? Is it good to do it halfway? Is it good to follow Jesus halfway? Is that, is that really satisfying to you? Is that really like awesome for you? Is that a good thing? Don't feel guilty about it. Just, just answer the question simply. And then I want you to ask this question and think through this. What is the difference between good and good enough when it comes to being a disciple? being an everyday disciple, being an occasional disciple. Is it good or is it good enough? I would argue that there's a big difference between these two. Is being an occasional disciple good enough? Well, I guess, I mean, maybe. Maybe it is. Like, I guess it depends entirely on what, what like, standard you're shooting for. It, it depends on what you're trying to go for because that's all that good enough can do, Right? That's what good enough does. It's about a standard. Good enough is a relative term, right? Enough, implying that relative to everything else, it's it's okay-ish, it's good-ish. That's all that good enough can do. It, it, It makes sense only in the context of a comparison between two things. Something that's good enough meets or exceeds a minimum standard of achievement. That's what good enough does. That's all it is. It's just a performance metric. Good enough is just a performance metric. Nothing to do with ideals, just with what's adequate, what's passable, what's going to get me by. And so when we talk about something being good enough, particularly when we apply it to our life with God, we are just kind of 
falling into this idea and accepting this idea that all we're trying to do is satisfy a standard. That that's what being a disciple is about, about checking off boxes and, and measuring up to a certain standard. And usually we think that that's satisfying some kind of demand that God has on our life. So basically, good enough discipleship, occasional discipleship, is the kind of life that God won't be super mad at us for living. That's what we're going for when we're trying to be good enough. Like, oh, I just got to get God off my back so that I can go about my business because he's so heavy and he's got all these things. And so I'm going to be just good enough of a disciple so that I can just like get him to leave me alone a little bit. But here's the thing. I really don't believe that God has saved you and called you and done a work in your life so that your life can just be good enough to pass against some kind of standard. I believe that if we're in Christ, we have life in him, that he has saved us so that your life with him can be good. Just good. Not good enough against, set against some standard, but of a certain quality that it is good. Because the life of an occasional disciple might be good enough if we're playing some kind of comparison game. I just don't think it's really that good. Psalm 1, I think, lays out a super biblical picture of what the good life is. I'm going to read it. It says, how blessed, blessed is the biblical word for good. Blessed is the man who does not walk, in the, and women, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and the leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. See, the Bible has this picture of the good life, and it's the life that's a person who, who is delighting in the Lord every day, day and night, and it's not just like a good enough kind of life, a life that's meeting a certain standard of performance. It's not like, oh, you, you delighted in the Lord this morning, you missed it in the evening, sorry, not good enough, right? It's not about that. It's an invitation into delighting in God in all things, in all ways. And this person, he or she is living a life that is qualitatively different, a life that is abounding, not one that's about good enough or measuring up. It's not good because it's moral. It's not good because it's achieving a minimum standard of performance. It's not good because of anything except it's good because because it is leading this person to flourishing. Like it says here, he is going to be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, constant source of renewal, constant source of nourishment. It's going to yield fruit in its season because you're, because you're in the Lord and you're abounding in him. Your life is going to be fruitful. It's going to be overflowing. People are going to look at it and say, you got something figured out. Something's going on in your life. And it's because you've been planted by the streams of water. The leaf doesn't wither and whatever he does prospers. It's not that you're going to be healthy and wealthy all the time, but your life is going to be good because God's with you. He cares for you. And yeah, he's probably going to provide for your needs. That's part of it. Not going to give you a yacht. Probably. Abiding in God's presence, just listening to him, that isn't like demanded of us. 
so that we can achieve a minimum level of performance. It is something that we are invited into. God's presence is offered to you. It's offered to me. It's offered to anyone who would turn to Jesus and follow after him. God's presence is offered to us because being with him day and night, loving him, listening to him, is the way to have a good life, to have a abounding life. Here's what Psalm 1 would say if it, uh, if it was just shooting for good enough. This is my version, okay? This is the good enough version of Psalm 1. Doing okay is the man who attends church goes to an occasional prayer meeting and even kicks a bit into the offering plate. He tolerates his weird pastor and sometimes thinks that Jesus guy might have a point, but meh. So he will be like a tree planted in a precarious place. He might grow if the rain comes or he might wither up, but either way, his odds are better than Todd across the street. That guy is a mess. Occasionally this person is fruitful, and but I mean, what am I, a farmer? He's doing his best, giving it the old college try. What else can you do? Hey, look, if if good enough is just like trying to do better than everybody else and trying to achieve some standards so that I don't feel guilty about my relationship with God, this is what I'm going to get. I mean, maybe it's going to be good. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But what God invites us into is something so much more robust. Good enough misses the point. What we're called to as disciples is not just to be good enough, but to be good. Not not, not you be good, but like to live a good life, a life that is abounding, that is awesome. The life of a disciple is a good life. The life of a disciple is a life lived, washed in the wisdom and grace of God. That's what we're invited into, and that's why we should pursue pursue everyday discipleship, because it's always good to be with the Lord. It's always good to give him my whole life and my heart. It's so much better than just trying to be good enough. It's so much safer than trying to be good enough. Uh, Jesus, I mean, says in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, one of my favorite verses, things that Jesus says, This is his invitation to discipleship, right? And it's so contrary to what we might think it should be. He says this, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So we tend to think of discipleship as like a burden to bear, like a difficult one, like one that's all about working and doing more and and having more and, and all this stuff. But he says, if you do this, you come to me, you're like, you got this heavy burdens you can't bear, I'm gonna give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Be a disciple of mine, for I am gentle and I'm humble of heart and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's a, it's a burden to be an everyday disciple. It's a thing that you take up and you say, I'm going to intend to do this. It's not, it's not easy in that I don't like flip a switch on and just do it. It involves persistence and continuing on and involves seeking the Lord and, and seeking him day and night. Like, but it's easy and it's a light burden. It's certainly lighter than the alternative, which is just to wander through life and maybe it's hit or miss and... What Jesus' invitation for us as everyday disciples is to, yeah, take his yoke. His yoke is like, well, it's like an oxen, like they have a yoke, right? They're connected to each other. And um, I once heard a pastor say, see, Jesus is the old cow. You're the young cow. 
And you just like connect to him. And as he goes down or as he moves forward, you're just like, oh, okay, I guess we should go now. Oh, I guess we're moving around now, right? Like it's a little bit of a burden. You get yanked around a little bit, but it's better than just wandering and doing nothing in life and, and having things be unfruitful and I don't know, just the alternative. See, Jesus' plan for your discipleship, it's about leading you to rest and to peace. And the life of an everyday disciple is actually a good life. It's just not a, it's not a good enough life. It's not a performance-oriented life. It's a life that we just say, actually, as I take this yoke upon me, as I pursue the way of Jesus, I find that it's good and it's full of rest and it's full of peace. And I never would have expected that because that's not how things usually work but we so often miss the point. And it's really easy to do, right? It's really easy to miss the point. And a big part of that is because a lot of us have a lot of, myself included, have a lot of wrong ideas about who Jesus is, what he was like. And particularly, and this is kind of where I want to go for the next couple minutes here, we particularly have some wrong ideas about what the cross was for. Many of us believe that the cross is a good enough machine stop. Like, that's what we think it's about. Like, that's all it's for. We look at the cross, and we have, you know, some, some good theology. Like, we believe some true things about what Jesus did on the cross. Here are some true things about what he did. Uh, we understand that he stood willingly as a sacrifice in our place. He took the penalty for our sin because we've done so many things that have separated from us from God. We constantly do them because we have sinful hearts. We're desperately wicked, like we don't know up from down. And like what Jesus did is he died on the cross to pay the price for our sin, stand in our place, buy us forgiveness so that we could have life. That's absolutely what happened on the cross. But that's not all there is to the cross, right? The cross isn't just like, okay, you're forgiven, good enough, you can now go to heaven, don't worry about it. Like, 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 because I mean, if that's it, like, then what does Jesus' life have to do with my life now? The truth is that his life and his death and his resurrection has everything to do with your life right now because the cross is not just a good enough machine. The point of the cross is not only to take away sins, to make us good enough so that we can go to heaven. The cross is much more. The cross is the way that we come to fullness of life with Jesus and into this new life where we know God, have fellowship with him, and our life is totally different as a result of having been forgiven by Jesus' sacrifice by putting our faith in him, we become not just people who are good enough now, accounted good enough, but we become people who can know God and have the capacity to follow after him, which we didn't have before because of our sin. We were alienated from God. Now we are not alienated from him anymore. We can know him. We can walk with him. Let's read Romans 8, 29. I'm just sort of I'm skipping a few verses in here because it was a long section. Um, I just wanted you to think about this. Think about what God has done by pouring out his grace on the cross here. God knew his people in advance. He chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So that's where we fit in. We're going to be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters called to be like Jesus. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him 
And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. Makes us good enough, makes us right to come into his presence. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. It's more than just right standing. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, won't he also give us everything else? Can anything ever separate us from the love of God? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from the love of God. No power in the sky above, on the earth below, Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We have to understand that the life we have in Jesus is not just the good enough life. It's not just the cross. It's not just a good enough machine. It is a way to a good life where we know the love of God and nothing could separate us from his presence like he's Found himself to be faithful to us, to, to walk with us in our day to day. We are invited to delight in him day and night because of what Jesus has done. Nothing can separate us from what he's doing in our lives. And it is a good life to pursue all the fullness of what God has for us. That's a good life. It's a new life where God is near, he's acting. He's moving, he's present, he's for us, even through the difficult things that go on. The cross opens up a way to the good life, the life that is soaked in the abiding presence of God. And that is so much bigger than what, how I tend to think about the cross. The cross is to me just like a, it fits in my systematic theology. It functions, it has a role. When in fact, it's just the door into a life with God a good life with God. I like how John Barclay puts it. He's written a lot on Paul's theology of grace, and he says this, grace, it turns out, is not an idea or a thing, but a radical divine dynamic. I love that. A radical divine dynamic. That's to say, man, the, the cross like functions in my life. Jesus' ministry, his work functions in my life. It's not just a thing. It's not something that helps me check off a box so that I can be good enough. It is a divine dynamic. It is this way of coming into a relationship with God to the point where it's ongoing and he's working in my life and his love isn't gonna be separated from me in any way. Like, like the div divine dynamic at work in In grace and on the cross, it is so much bigger than I think of it as. I tend to want to just minimize it, but it's so much bigger. So we miss the point of grace when we think it's an idea or a thing or just something that like sits in our theological system. When we think the cross is just a way to make us good enough, we miss the reality. Grace is a divine dynamic. Because of what Jesus did, we have now a life with God. 
We didn't have life with God before. We didn't have a life with God where we could know him before. Because of the cross, because of the grace poured out by Jesus on the cross, you don't just have grace to make you good enough. Your whole life is now lived in the context of grace. And we can never forget that. Your whole life is now in this divine dynamic, the context of grace. We have to remember that. And it's, I think, one of the hardest things because we just get like going in life and we start to grind, we start to work in our own strength and in our own flesh. We have to remember what Jesus told me about the world when he's talking about the kingdom of God, which we'll talk about more next week. What he's talking about is the fact that the world is full of God's presence. If only we could step in there. And now we can step in there because of what Jesus has done. And we can just live a life where we just look around and we just say, like, I used to see like how hard the world was. And I used to think, man, how unfair everything is. And I used to think how out of control everything was and how out of control I felt. And sometimes I still do feel that way, right? But now, by and large, what I see because of what Jesus has done in me, he's put his Holy Spirit in me and he's revealing something in the world. What I see in the world is actually his grace working. Not always working the way I want it to work, but I see his presence ongoing. It's a very different thing to see life in the context of grace. Now, if you remember back um, a couple weeks ago, we talked about spiritual disciplines. Um, We looked at Dallas Willard's uh, golden triangle of spiritual growth, which I really like. Uh, Yeah, we got it up here. So just like, just to connect these dots here, um, I just want to quickly review what Willard argues uh, in terms of how spiritual growth happens. He basically says it happens on three fronts. First, through the action of the Holy Spirit. That is, you know, we get saved, like we have a relationship with God. That's where it begins, right? But the, the Holy Spirit starts to transform us. He just does stuff in our lives. Like, and I, I've experienced that for sure, like where God just on his own took away and dealt with like sin in my heart. Like he dealt with um, objections or difficulties that I have. He has independently, he does work in us, right? And most of us are really super comfortable with that because we're like, hey, I don't have to do anything. Holy Spirit's gonna do it all. Let's, let's have that be the plan. Uh, but what Dallas Willard argues, and I, and I think is true of just kind of Jesus's picture of discipleship, is that there's a little more to spiritual growth than only the independent action of the Holy Spirit right? It's all the Holy Spirit doing it, but it's usually we have to partner with him to a degree. That's the difference. It's not like I have to work my way into it. It's that I have to come along with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he doesn't need me to come along. He just, bam, does it. And that's awesome. All right. And so then there's, uh, on the second side, there's, you know, just the ordinary events of life or temptations. You know, sometimes things come up and we make the right choice, right? We make the right choice to be patient in the middle of a trial. We make the right choice to be kind and loving when we don't want to be, right? But we, we decide with the Holy Spirit working in us and, and partnering with him to do the right thing, to turn the other cheek, to go the extra mile, to do all the things that Jesus commands us to in the Sermon on the Mount. If you went ahead and read that a couple weeks ago, like I had asked you to, um, right? Sometimes we make the right choices along with the prompting of the Holy Spirit by his empowering, and that's good, right? He says, but then there's this third element, and I think it's um, the most neglected probably in the church today, uh, but I think it's really, 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 really important, and maybe not to be critical of the church, but maybe we have a discipleship problem. I don't mean this church in general, but the church in America, we might have a discipleship problem, some people would argue, um, and it's probably because we haven't put, taken on 
disciplines, spiritual disciplines, right? And so spiritual disciplines are just planned discipline to put on a new heart. They're things that we can do, things within our power to change something that we cannot by direct effort change, right? So I can't change my heart. I can't put on, I can't become Christ-like just by making a choice to do it. But there are things that I can do that will result in that over the long term. Prayer is a spiritual discipline, I pray so that my mind will be, well, so I can intercede, that's, that's an element of prayer, but also, I think more essentially, so that my mind will just get tuned in to the Lord's, and he'll start to deal with stuff in me. You know, I'm, I'm going to be praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes I don't want your kingdom, God. Sometimes I just want my kingdom, right? But the more that I pray, the more that I find that I get to work out these things in my heart and in my life, and the Lord's going to do them, he's going to do them with me. The more I pray, the more I enact that discipline. I do it carefully, I do it intentionally, I do it uh, in the context of grace, the more I find that the Lord's doing a work, and that's awesome, right? Fasting, another spiritual discipline, like we don't hardly ever do that because we love to eat, right? Uh, We, we, Tonto, Uh, yes, I also love to eat. Um, yeah, but it's like, it's like uh, we, we are going to uh, dedicate time and withhold from ourselves food so that we can actually receive from the Lord spiritual food, right? Disciplines, things that we can do to change what we cannot change. But then the question, and what I want to just finish up focusing on, is how does that, how does that fit with grace, right? Because this is the hard part. How does me doing things to grow fit with just like living in the context of grace? Like, isn't grace basically about how God just sorts things out? And am I just called to be like doing something? Am I just being called to sort things out? Look, here's the thing we have to remember, and it's what we've been talking about. Grace is this divine dynamic, And spiritual growth, including spiritual disciplines, exist in that divine dynamic. The minute we start to do discipline outside of the context of grace, that's when we are in our flesh and we're not going to go anywhere with that. Is that, that might not make sense. Let's keep talking about it and maybe it'll click. My last sermon, I talked about Steph Curry, right, who I obviously know so well. We had one class together 15 years ago. I would recognize him. He would never recognize me. And I showed you my great basketball moves that is seared into your mind, right? You'll never forget that, and I'll never get past the embarrassment. That's okay. Um, I was hesitant to use that image, not because I'd have to do this, um, but because sports analogies though very helpful, they tend to trigger an idea in my mind and in most people's mind that in order to like grow and be good enough, then I have to just be better than I am, right? I mean, and even I was, was talking about Steph Curry and how, you know, like the thing about Steph Curry is he spends like, I don't know, like six hours a day just shooting, working on form. He's mastered the form. He's not a big guy. He's not a strong guy. He's mastered the form. Um, 
And you could maybe look at this triangle, like, and it, and it might make sense to you, um, and, and you might start to go, and you might start to say, okay, yeah, like, I want to be doing some, some, some disciplines. Um, we're going to go, uh, we're going to talk more about what those disciplines are in the next couple weeks, um, but it might be really great, like, as you start to, like, do this stuff in your strength, and it's like, man, we're gonna, I'm going to make some stuff happen, I'm going to pray some more. It might be really great for a while, but eventually, like, what you're probably going to run into, and what I've run into over the course of my life trying to practice uh, spiritual disciplines, is that you come to a place of frustration because you come up against a hard place. You come up against a hard place is that you start to realize that um, while praying and fasting and worship is like good stuff, it's only actually good if it's in the context of grace, in the context of this divine dynamic. See, the discipline that we need to enact when we grow is not the discipline to be strong. Like, I don't need to discipline myself so that I can just, like, be the sort of person who can white-knuckle through moments of temptation. That's not what I'm going for. I'm not trying to beef up so that I can, when the moment comes, be the best disciple possible. That's not the nature of the strength that you're developing when you put on discipline. Understand that. Disciplines are about heart transformation and about spiritual capacity, which is not just being better at being strong, right? That's why I don't like the sports analogy. Don't just go to the weight room to be stronger. Train and discipline so that you'll know how to navigate spiritual life and make, put grace to work. Okay, here's something from John Barclay. So good. I think this will really make it clear. The wisdom of God is not human wisdom enhanced. The power of God is not a more powerful version of human power. Grace works not to supplement human capacity, but in the absence of human power. Not to reward worth, but where there is none. Everything functions here in our lives by negation and reversal, by loss and gain, by death and new creation. The people of God trust in a God who creates ex nihilo, which means from nothing, who raises the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. So when I am doing the work of growing as an everyday disciple and putting on spiritual disciplines, I'm not trying to make myself stronger. What I'm trying to do is train my heart to understand this crazy, insane idea that we worship a God who calls things from the dead and puts them into existence when they hadn't existed before. What I'm doing when I'm putting on spiritual disciplines is I am reminding myself about what's true is that not only am I weak, but even if I were strong, I wouldn't be strong enough. And in fact, my greatest strength comes from abandoning my strength and just saying, oh, I need the power of God who raises things from the dead totally from nothing and brings about strength in life from nothing. I don't need to give God the materials I have and say, oh, just make them a little bit better, God. Make them good enough to get by. No, I need him to die to myself to the point where I just say, God, I bring nothing to the table 
And I understand that, and every good thing in my life just comes from your grace. Every joy in the middle of difficulty, it comes and I experience it because I have trained myself well not to look to myself for my own satisfaction, but to look to you, Jesus, only. You are my deliverer. You're my only hope. Like, so the strength that I have is the strength to be weak. You get it? It's not the strength to grow into strength and to be self-sufficient. It's the strength to be self-deficient. I just came up with that. Wow. I gotta write that down. Um, thank you, Jesus. See? From nothing. We have to get over the idea, and this is what spiritual growth is to me. We have to get over the idea that we bring much to the table at all. We just bring willing hearts, abandoned selves. Worship team can come up now. But, but I really just want to press on that. Like, like, I just really want to make sure that we understand when we are putting on disciplines, we are not working our way into good enoughness, not working our way into better performance, but into goodness, again, not that comes from us, but that comes from the revealed wisdom of God that shows us that the world doesn't actually work the way we think it works. The battle isn't to the strong. The race isn't to the swift. You don't have to be stronger or faster in order to win at life. What we understand and we come to understand is that we are our fullest and our best and the most satisfied in God when we are just relying on him. Just like stopping looking to ourselves to be better and just saying, Lord, you're my sufficiency, you're everything. So I'm just gonna meditate on you day and night. I'm gonna be an everyday disciple because of course that's what I'm going to do. Because like, what am I gonna do? Like try to make this empty, empty dying body better? Like this weak mind better? This spirit which doesn't have the strength better? No, I'm just gonna seek you and all your fullness. I'm gonna become Christ-like because you've made a way by the context of grace by this divine dynamic that I can just like learn that I can just rest in you always. It's so much better than some other plan to be good. The, the plan for God for us to be good is just to rely on him in everything, in every way, all the time, no matter what. And it takes discipline to learn that simple thing. Like you can, you can maybe walk out of here and you say, yeah, yeah, I believe that. But then, you know, you're going to get into some difficulties later today. You're going to start to think, oh, I've got to start my life out. I've got to figure out a way to do better, to be better, right? What we learn is this discipline instead is when things get difficult and things are hard and when I feel that like I am backed into a corner and I just have to work my way out of it. Instead, I just say, I am going to delight in the Lord day and night. And I'm going to find that the more I do that, it's, it's crazy. It's a crazy thing to do in the context of the way we think about the way life works. The more I do that, the more I find that I'm like a 
tree planted by streams of water. Like, I don't need to provide nutrients or nourishment to myself. God just does it. He's planted me in this place where he cares for me. He's planted me in the context of grace where everything, uh, it's not just, just it works out, but he cares for me. He, his love isn't going to be separated from me. And so I can just move out in that. And I can teach that to myself, can teach that to myself through these disciplines, through prayer, through, through, um, through fasting, through seeking him, through, through being alone with him, practicing solitude and silence, sitting before him, praying that the Holy Spirit would just fill me and just, just transform my mind to understand this simple thing, that he brings life where there wasn't life, and that that is always good enough. We can always continue to rely on him, continue to press in, and that is the discipline that we enact. And so I'm looking forward to the upcoming weeks here. We're going to, uh, next week, uh, talk about Jesus's way of talking about this. This was mostly like grace is like actually really a Pauline word. That's the way Paul talks about grace. But Jesus talks about the kingdom. He talks about the way the world actually works. Right? He talks about how the world is just full of God's presence and his work and how we can just like pursue that. First, we're going to talk about that. And then after that week, we're going to, uh, Easter's in there somewhere. I can't remember. We're going to break for Easter. We're not going to do this on Easter because, you know, we got to talk about the resurrection on Easter. And that'd be great. It probably actually fit pretty well. Um, and then after that, after next week, we're going to start talking about just, just spiritual disciplines, some of the practical stuff. How do we do this? How do we be everyday disciples and put this stuff into practice? So we've got communion up here. Uh, we've got time. So why don't you come up, grab some communion, take it back to your seat if you want, and we will uh, do that together in just a minute. All right. All right.